All right, so Vacation Bible School. Raise your hand if you went to Vacation Bible School when you were a kid. Yeah, a lot of you did. I remember going to Bible school. I, I, I was not, I, was not a, I don't know if you can believe this or not, but I was not a very social person when I was a kid. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of being in front of people. I was afraid of they're going to make me be in front of people and do things and say things. And I was always get scared of that. But my mom, she encouraged me uh, forcefully to go to Bible school. But I was always excited. At least I knew there was going to be cookies and Kool-Aid at Bible school. But I remember one year our church like was poor, I guess, and we had cookies and water. It's like, really? That's it? I was so disappointed. I was ready to quit Bible school and just walk away from the whole thing. But no, we're going to do Bible school today at the at the YMCA, which I'm excited because we are a community church and we get a chance to be involved and reach out into the community. We have over 70 kids registered to go to Bible school this afternoon. And so, amen. Yeah, yeah let's clap for that. And so, if you are helping in any way with Vacation Bible School, please stand up. We're going to commission you and bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. So we are, and if you said, well, I wasn't really planning on helping with Bible school, you might want to show up if you can, because we're going to need as many people as possible to just, for one, just greet the parents, greet the families, make sure uh, that everything is taken care of, all the details, and so we'd love to have you be a part of it. Let's just pray for these people who are going to serve this afternoon, because I really am excited about this opportunity, because this is a, for some people, this will be the first time they have any kind of interaction with the Calling Community Church that's, the, that's one thing, but more importantly is there are going to be little kids that are going to come, they're going to hear, maybe, maybe for the first time they're going to hear this revolutionary thought that God cares about them and all their worries and all their struggles. God cares about them, and we want them to know that, right? We want them to know. So let's just pray for these individuals. So Father, we thank you for those who are going to offer their hands and their feet and their heart and their talent and their energy and time today at Vacation Bible School. We thank you so much for the families that have registered their, uh, their children to go, that they are entrusting them to, into our care. God, I pray that we would be good stewards with these precious little lives. God, I pray we'd have fun. I pray that it'll be an exciting time. I pray that uh, little ones will walk away with a deeper understanding in their own language, in their own way, of who you are and how much you care for them. That they would know that there is someone bigger, even bigger than their parents, who loves them. And God, I pray that there will be families that will come today, that their children will get exposed to the good news of Jesus, and that their families, maybe they're not connected in a church, and they'll feel like, hey, this pe these people must, must really love, love the Lord and love kids, and so we want to maybe get connected in that church. I just pray for these workers. I pray that the, as they pour out, you would fill them up. And uh, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you for everyone who is volunteering to make it happen. We, like Seventy was saying, in a, actually next Sunday, because of the way the calendar falls, we're going to celebrate our second anniversary of the church next Sunday. And so it'll be um, a special time because we're going to have three different individuals that are going to share their story just briefly about how this church has made a difference in their life. And how their lives changed because of uh, this church. And then the following week is Father's Day, which is actually when we started the church two years ago. And then Jimmy, who is the 
is the uh, bookend, the other half of Stephanie. He's going to share uh, on Father's Day just kind of what God has been doing in his life and his heart. And so we're excited about we're excited about that. So next week, come as we have our second anniversary. We'll have cake. We'll have balloons. We'll have uh, we'll just have these testimonies and then celebrate what God's doing here in the life of our church. This church started with just a handful of people who really felt like uh, God was calling us to something new. And then uh, it's morphed and changed, and we ended up here at the high school, and we're excited that God has opened, that, opened up these doors to make it possible for us to be here. So the theme of Bible school is Jesus cares for you because we're going to have pets, we're going to have animals, and it's a pet theme. But the reality is, is this truth that Jesus cares for you. And, that, and I think that's good for us to know. And so I thought, I began thinking about that. And so just thinking about Bible school, thinking about kids, and, and thinking about just keeping it simple. Keeping it simple. And so we are going to talk this morning about the ABCs of Jesus caring for you. Using ABC, Jesus is caring for you. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your Bible if you have one. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, if you can get Signal and you got an app, or if you need a Bible, I think there was some out on the table. But in your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of John. Okay, so you have the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The first four books in the New Testament, the Gospels, are the good news of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And so we're going to do a lot, uh, a lot beginning in the book of John, and then we'll, we'll use Matthew a little bit, and we'll use um, the book of Mark. Okay, so you're going to be around those same areas. <clears throat> so we're going to do a lot of turning, okay, a lot of turning today, and so just be prepared for that. We'll try to kind of keep it in, in some order so it makes it a little easier for you to turn the page. I use, I started using, because I think the words are a little bit bigger, it's easy, easy for me to, to read, the English Standard Version, okay? Some of you might have the New International Version or a King James Version or New American Standard or whatever. Um, and you might say, well, he, what he's reading is a little bit different than mine. I promise you the message is the same and the wording might be a little bit different, but God's Word is sharp and it speaks and it's powerful. So just receive it as you hear it and as you read it. It's more powerful when you do both. I think when you hear it and read it, I think it's, it's more powerful that way. So we're going to talk about the ABCs of Jesus caring for us. A, he always, he's always telling people the truth. Jesus is always telling the truth. And all throughout, throughout Scripture, Anything that you read in Jesus' words, he's speaking the truth. And we're going to look at several different places where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth. Jesus always tells the truth. Now, the devil, however, is the anti-truth, okay? Uh, there is no truth in the enemy. There's no truth in the opposite of Jesus, Matter of fact, Scripture says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if the enemy is the father of lies, Jesus is the father and the originator of truth. And so we're going to use three different, uh, three different, like the A, B, and the C, and each word has a Greek word that goes with it. So the Greek word for truth is aletheia, or aletheia, Okay. And so here's the definition of this. All right, you guys ready to learn this morning? 
Ready to learn? Okay. Get your, get your thinking cap on. Did you ever have a teacher tell you that? Put your thinking cap on? I think most of the time I left mine at home. Matter of fact, I don't even know if I ever had one. would be my, my thought. So put your thinking cap on. So this definition of truth is not merely truth as spoken, but it's, it's a truth of an idea or reality, sincerity, truth in a moral sphere, uh, divine truth revealed to man. And I love this, straightforwardness. Jesus didn't mix words. Like he was straightforward. He told you like it was. He said, this is the way it is, and that's what he would speak. In the ancient Greek culture, this truth that they're speaking of was synonymous with this word reality. Isn't it funny that most of the reality TV that we see is really not true at all? But it's rea- they call it reality. And this reality is opposite of illusion. Okay? It's fact. So I want you to, you've got to nail this down. You've got to think about this. This is reality. It's not, it's not something that's fake. It's an illusion. Something that this mirror, smoke and mirrors thing. It is the truth. And Jesus speaks this truth in several different places. And there's not enough time to go through the whole alphabet. And there's not enough time to reveal all of these. But we want to look at uh, some of the main ones in the book of John. So let's first go to the book of John chapter 3, okay? John chapter 3. So there was a man of the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, like they were the rulers and leaders in the church, the, the Jewish religion. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 1, you you can turn back there if you want, but John 1, verse 12 and, uh, and 13, gives us an idea of how can you be born again? What does that mean to be born again? Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you have it. Maybe you, at some point in time, someone asks you, hey, brother or sister, are you born again? And you're like, oh, um, I don't know. I was born once. I mean, I know I was born. I'm here, right? This is physical evidence of my birth. But, but in this word, in the book of John, it says in verse 12, verse, uh, chapter 1, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the truth is, in receiving him, in believing in Jesus, in putting our faith and our trust in Jesus, is the way that we are born again. I want you to think about it this way. In the natural, in the natural, when life is conceived in the womb, life begins. Life 
in the physical at conception, okay? In the eternal life, in this way that he's speaking of being born again, when that happens, it, is, it, is, it comes as a result of reception, okay? So there's conception in the physical, there is reception in the spiritual. That is when you receive Christ. When you said, have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Those, those words don't necessarily really make sense, and it's not even really in the Bible. Say, ask Jesus into your heart. But to say you receive him, you believe on him, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, at that point, you're born again. He says, can an old man be born again? Yes, he can be born again. I know several People in this church, as even as they're older, they're beginning to realize a new and a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Their life is different today than it was two years ago. Yes, doesn't matter how old you are, you can be born again. That's the truth that Jesus speaks. John 4. Okay, there's a story in the John chapter 4. We won't read the whole story because it's kind of long. It's when Jesus comes in contact with a woman who is from a village called Samaria. Well, first of all, Samaritans and Jewish people had nothing to do with one another because the Jewish people felt like the Samaritan people were unclean. They were unholy. They were unlike us. And hey, here's the reality. Some people don't walk into the doors of church because they feel like we're not like them. We're, we're unclean. And, or, or they may think, well, those people in church think they're clean, but they're really not. And they act one way and talk another and all these other things. But this woman, Jesus and the Samaritan, speaking, speaking of just Jesus and a woman, man and a woman shouldn't be seen in public like this. But Jesus goes to the well to get a drink, and this woman is there. It's in the middle of the day, which she's uh, probably coming to avoid other people seeing her there. And Jesus comes in contact with her. And you know what Jesus does for her? He tells her the truth. Matter of fact, he kind of leads her into telling the truth on herself. And Jesus says, you're right, and what you say is true. You're, you've been married five times, and the man you're with now, you're not married to. And she then tried to kind of change the subject. You know, when the truth comes, we try to avoid it. <laughs> we don't like the truth. Though the truth sets us free, we try to avoid the truth. Like when the light starts shining and reality comes and it starts to get revealed. And so she kind of tries to divert the conversation and then um, here in the, um, let's look at uh, verse 23 in chapter 4. Jesus says, But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming he is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus speaks some truth to her. He says, I who speak to you am he. I am him. I am the one that you're waiting for. And then she goes away. She goes back to her people and she tells them, I've met a man that's told me everything about my life. Do you know that Jesus knows everything about your life? Is there any part of you that thinks, oh my that's true, isn't it? It is true. But you know what the good news is? It's just like with this woman, Jesus still loves you. He still wants to be engaged with you. He still wants, to, wants for you to have a deeper revelation of 
who he is. He, he didn't just say these things. He's like, all right, I'm out. He stayed around. He stayed around long enough to where she goes and she testifies about this man who knows everything about her, yet still loves me. And then the people from their village come, and then Jesus stays and teaches them the truth. And it says they believe not only her testimony, but then they believe because of the words that he spoke to them. It's a powerful story. John chapter 5, turn there. John 5, turn on over to verse 24. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. When we come to faith and when we put our faith and we believe in, in Jesus, it says we've passed from judgment, we go from death to life. And one, maybe your version says, crossed over from death to life. To life. That is the truth. Look at John chapter 6, verse 47. I love to hear the pages turning. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. There's that same theme again. That's all throughout the book of John. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. If you're familiar with the story when the people were coming out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, they were hungry and God gave them food, bread from heaven called manna. They ate manna in the wilderness, but yet they died. Not from eating the bread, but because you just, you just eventually you're going to die. Bread alone is not going to keep you alive. Especially if you're gluten intolerant. It's definitely not going to keep you alive. It says, this is bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not, and not die. Or so that one may eat of it, I'm sorry, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, there's some controversial teaching here. Some people walked away from following Jesus because they thought they were talking about cannibalism. You know, like, how, you want me to eat flesh and drink blood? That's just... What's up with that? And obviously that's not what Jesus was speaking of. But when we do remember in the Lord's Supper, we, we remember the body broken, the body given for, so that we might have life and his blood spilled out so we can have forgiveness of sin. John chapter 8. We're moving on through the book. Great, uh, great stories all the way through this particular chapter. And Jesus told them in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Later on in that chapter, look over at verse 58. So there's this, there's this debate going on with Jesus and the religious teachers of the day. And Jesus is about ready to drop a truth bomb on them that changes everything. Matter of fact, this truth that he reveals at this particular point is probably what got him killed. Jesus is talking to them about their father Abraham and, and how he knew Abraham before. And how Abraham was looking forward to the day that Jesus was going to be walking the earth. 
And they were like, how is that possible? Look at verse 57. It says, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? How is that possible? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that truth alone sets Jesus apart from anyone that's ever walked on the face of the earth. That he was God in the flesh, walking on this planet, representing Jesus, or God, being the physical image of the invisible God. Yesterday morning, uh, I was studying, getting ready, and I was going up uh, stairs, just changing my clothes, and uh, I, my dogs were going crazy. I'm like, what is, what is going on? Which means somebody's out in the cul-de-sac or somebody's at my door. And so I go down, and it was a lady from another church here in the community, another organization, let's say. And she knocked on my door, and she had this piece of paper she wanted to give me about these activities going on in the community. I said, I said, you know, I'm not really interested. I said, I'm a local pastor here in town. Oh, oh, that's, that's wonderful. And she said, we have, we have uh, uh, meetings on Sundays. And I was like, yeah, so do we. We have meetings on Wednesday nights. I said, like, that's great. And she said, uh, lots of great things for families. And we would really love you to come take, take a look, check it out. And I was like, you know, that's probably not going to happen. I said, but uh, I said, I, I admire their tenacity and their commitment. I do. I do admire that. It takes a lot of courage to go door to door and knock on people's doors. And, and sometimes the interaction is probably not really healthy. <laughs> I could have just shut the door in her face and walked away. But I told her, I said, you know, here's the reality. I said, I, what you, you do some great things and, and you're trying to help people. And I understand. I said, but when, you, when, when it comes to who Jesus is, that's where you and I don't agree. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, in your Bible, you say that Jesus was a God. And I believe that Jesus is God. Well, we believe Jesus was God's son. I said, yeah, so do I. But I believe that he was God in the flesh. And that's where we take a different turn. And I'm not willing to move from that. And so and you're probably not either. So it's been great visiting with you. And, and, and have a great day. <laughs> and she walked away. Jesus said, I am he. I am him. You don't just say these words. These are fighting words. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple because it wasn't time. <laughs> and of course, there's John 14, 6. You don't have to turn there, but it's where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then let's do turn real quick over to John chapter 16 because I think this is important for you to get a hold of here. Look at John chapter 16, verse 12. Because Jesus doesn't walk around any longer in the flesh on the earth. Can you imagine if he did? How many stadiums could Jesus sell out? <laughs> you know, how many friends do you think Jesus would have on Facebook? Man, when he would tweet, how many people would follow that? It would be amazing. But Jesus did, some, did something different which I think is even more powerful, and we've been talking about that this last few weeks, is Jesus reproduced himself in you and me. Instead of tweets, he has peeps. <laughs> he has us. 
I just made that up. It just came to my mind. You can, that's extra. I, threw that in. I didn't write that down. <laughs> Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, or all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I, um, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that will come at the moment of reception. You know, at the moment of reception, the Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of you. The Spirit of truth to remind you of the things that Jesus taught. To, to help you live the life that Jesus wants you to live. You cannot do it apart from him. It's not possible. You have to have the Holy Spirit to empower you, to remind you, to teach you these things that are true. It says the spirit of truth will come and he will guide you. And so he doesn't leave us alone. He sends the spirit to help us. All right, so he gives us the spirit so that we can then go to the B. Jesus always tells the truth. Jesus blessed people. That's what he did. He blessed people. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, or Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of his ministry what the blessed life, what a blessed life looks like. When he gives this... Uh, you maybe have heard it said this way. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, this famous uh, dialogue that Jesus gives to the people. It says that he saw the crowds. He went up on a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him, and then he teaches these things. You may have heard these called the blessed bees or the, the um, beatitudes. The Greek word for this is makarios, which is a, the blessing is a deep sense of joy or blissfulness other than the, what the world can offer. It's not about being happy. It's like not happy are. It's blissful, it's blessed, it's other than what the world has to offer. And listen what he says a blessed life looks like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now quickly, I won't explain each one of these. Some of them are just, they, they, they mean what they say. But this, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Nobody wants to be poor in anything, right? What does it mean to be, be poor in spirit? It says, poor in spirit is declaring that we can only enter God's kingdom or enter into his presence when we realize our utter worthlessness, <laughs> Like, we have nothing really to offer God. I mean, think about it. Nothing but our sinfulness. Like, we may think we we're something special, but literally, compared to him, we have nothing. And we come to him bankrupt in a sense. But it says when you come to him, and when you get that, you say, you know what, I have nothing to offer you, God, but, I just, but here I am anyway. It says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, that's how you enter in. You've got to come with a sense, I have nothing to give, but everything to gain. I think that's a beautiful picture. And we can't do anything to save ourselves. It's all, it's all him. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. I use that a lot at funerals. It's okay to mourn loss. For when we empty ourselves, then we are filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is power under great control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not blessed are those who hunger for anything the world has to offer. But when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says you'll be satisfied. And blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want people to be kind and merciful to you? Be kind and merciful to them. It's just pretty powerful how that works. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, will, they shall see God. There's a, a revelation that comes through obedience. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. As far as it depends on you, Scripture says, remain at peace with everyone, if that's possible. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then I love this passage of scripture and just flip over to Mark real quick especially for those of you that have little children as we think about Bible school today Mark chapter 10 verse 13 it says they were bringing children to him that he might touch them so Mark 10 verse 13 They're bringing children to him that he might touch them. And then his disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to his disciples, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. 2005, when we were in Peru, our first mission trip there in Peru, we went into the city and we would draw a crowd with some American hip-hop music and a dance. And then we'd do this powerful drama of the gospel just kind of laid out and people would come and kneel down and pray and right in front of anybody that was standing around to watch and I was amazed at the number of people who after I was done speaking would bring their children to me and just hand them to me I'm a stranger from another land. (laughs) And they would put their children in my hand and the interpreter say, they want you to bless them. They want you to bless their child. They want you to pray for their child. Sometimes maybe the child was sick. Would you pray healing for their child? Would you speak a blessing over them? And I, I was thinking, I'm just a man. But then I am just a man indwelled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that indwelled Jesus. And because of that, I have the 
the opportunity to bless them. Do you know that if you belong to Jesus, you have that same spirit living inside of you? And when you speak blessing over someone, I was at the hospital the other day, and this sweet lady who works there at the hospital, uh, she was walking around. She's like, hey, honey, how are you today? Are you having a good day? And I could tell right away. I just knew she loved Jesus. I just knew it. And I said, man, it's a great day. She's like, God is good. I said, yeah, he's good all the time. And she came back through. She's like, you have a good day. I said, hey, you be blessed today. And she's like, I'll receive that. And I thought, wasn't oh, that cool? This sense, like, I don't know. It's like, it's not quite like this, but you just walk around like, bless you. <laughs> yeah, bless you. <laughs> she's like throwing it out, you know, like, and I, I'm, a, I'm a toucher. And I know that probably makes some people feel uncomfortable. But I just, like, when I baptized people, I was like petting them, you know. I was like, I just bless, I just want to bless them. There's something about, there's power in touch. Jesus laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Jesus, see, had compassion for people. And we'll finish here, but this is, this is my favorite, my favorite topics. The root, or not the root word, but the Greek word, Splank nizomai. <laughs> Figure out a way to use that in a sentence. Splank nizomai. From the root word splanknon. Okay? What does that mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. All right, you gotta, you got to grab a hold of this so that these passages of Scripture will make even more sense. Turn back to Matthew 9 while we're, while we're finishing this up here. Give you time to, to get back there. So when this word compassion comes up, this is, this is the definition of it. Okay, and, that, and just stick with me here when I first start reading this because it's going to sound weird, okay, but I want you to stick with me. This compassion is to be moved as to one's bowels. I told you it was weird. Hence to be moved with compassion or have compassion for in that culture, this part of your body was thought to be the seat of love and pity. It's in your gut. It's like you've ever had a gut feeling about something. My wife, when she gets a gut feeling about something, she's almost always right which is really frustrating for her husband, but most of the time. <laughs> but she's always right. She's like, I just, it, I just have this feeling, and it's right here. As we dig into it a little bit more, it says the, the bowels, and it's like, it's really, it's not just like when you think about bowels, that's kind of gross, but it's about your, your heart and your liver, like your inner, your inner being. We're regarded as the seat of the more violent passions such as anger and love. Isn't it bizarre those two things are mentioned together? Anger and love. But by the Hebrews, it was really this idea of um, the sense of tender affection, kindness, benevolence. Like it's having a heart for people. Tender mercies, affections, etc., or it's this, a heart in which mercy resides. You know, it says that when we were dead in our sin, 
God who was rich in mercy. Basically, when we were dead in our sin, God who was just violently passionate about human beings made us alive with Christ. So look at Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I picture it like this. When he saw the crowds deep in his being, he was violently just overwhelmed with love and, and mercy for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In that culture and in the culture that we live in today, there are many shepherds trying to draw the attention of sheep. Hear my voice. Listen to my voice. Come and follow me. Come over. Do, just go this direction. Oh, do this. Follow this. Buy this. Go here. Whatever. And in that culture, it was no different. And Jesus is saying, I am the true shepherd. <laughs> and I want you to follow me. And I am burdened for you. And it says that he um, tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest fields. There's so many people that need the truth, that need the blessing that comes from him. So many. And you know what? And unless we have this burden, this deep like feeling inside of us to do it, we're not going to do it. I don't, like these people came to my door on Saturday. I don't know if it's compassion or compulsion or whatever it is, but they're faithful and they're committed. And God's calling us to the same. He wants us to take this compassion and be willing to tell people the truth in love and be willing to bless others when we have the opportunity to bless and be willing to show compassion when we can show compassion. Turn over real quick. We're almost done. Matthew 14. Once again, there's another story right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And then later in the story, and he fed them till they were full. So it's more than just feeling it. It's one thing to see someone and have compassion for them, but it's a completely different thing to see them and have compassion and to go and do something about it. Right? Completely different. And Jesus, that's what he modeled for us there. And then one last passage of Scripture. Verse 20, or sorry, sorry, chapter 20. I could just say verse 20 and make you figure out what chapter I'm speaking out of. That wouldn't be fair. Chapter 20, verse 29 
And as they went out to Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. Or Lord, please show compassion to us. Son of David, they said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let your eyes be open, or let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, or Jesus with compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. Immediately they recovered their sight and they followed Jesus. So maybe this morning, as we finish up with our last song, What if Jesus, who wants to tell you the truth, maybe he's already speaking the truth, maybe he wants to bless you, wants to show compassion to you this morning. Jesus asked these guys, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you this morning? It could be anything, right? So Jesus is, a, is available. <laughs> and he's able. And maybe it's a specific prayer request that you have. Maybe it's something that you can pray about right where you're at. Or maybe you need to come and ask for prayer. Just come and pray by yourself. I love how um, Todd and Megan, your little boy Landon in the hospital, they've just, it's been a hard road. And I love how they have specific requests. Like, this is what we need Jesus to do for us right now. And um, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before when we just sent out this blanket, like, please pray right now. And you know what? God moved right then. There's power when we ask right then, right now. So maybe right now is now for you to, to say, Jesus, this is what I need you to do for me. And so use this opportunity as a time to pray. Uh, use this opportunity to maybe go back to the very beginning of my message and say, you know what, I've never been born again. I've never received him as my savior. I need to, I need to do that today. Or maybe say, I've done that, but I've never taken the next step. We're gonna do baptisms here in a few weeks. Maybe you need to go through the waters of baptism and say, you know what, I want to bury my old life. I want to walk a new life. I want a fresh start. That, that will be for you. That time's coming and make that decision. So what do you want Jesus to do for you today? Come.